Good morning. Nice jump. Good morning. Wonderful to be together and worship the Lord together. Well, we are a week into our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I wonder how you're you're getting on if you're part of the church and know what we're doing. We're spending three weeks focusing on seeking God in a, in a particular way, uh, encouraging people to fast in different things, and um, gathering together in different ways to celebrate that and, and to be together and to pray. And we're basing that around the Lord's Prayer over these three weeks. Uh, I wonder how you're getting on. It's been interesting talking to people about different things people are doing, ways uh, that they're trying to focus on God, things which you're adjusting in your lives. I've made some adjustments in my life, some things I'm fasting from in order to try and turn my thoughts towards Jesus more, and that's been really good. And I've been encouraged by how this first week has gone. I've been really encouraged by our uh, prayer and worship time last Sunday evening at 5.02, and it was great to be together with the men to pray here yesterday morning and heard really encouraging stories from life groups this week. So that's all great. Thank you for what God is doing amongst us. It is good to pray. We do need to pray. Prayer is our connection with God. It's how we relate to Him, how we enjoy relationship with Him. Prayer, as Christians, for us Christians, should be food and drink to us. It's our bread. It's what nourishes and keeps us. And uh, the section of the Lord's Prayer, which we're looking at this morning, is on that theme of food and drink, of bread. Jesus said, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now, as we look at this part of the Lord's Prayer this morning, what I want us to try and do is to actually see the broader narrative of Scripture to see how this fits into the bigger picture of what Jesus is doing and teaching. There are two places in the New Testament where Jesus teaches a version of the Lord's Prayer, one in the Gospel of Luke and one in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Luke, the account of the Lord's Prayer is recorded immediately after Jesus has been with his friends Mary and Martha. And uh, there's a connection between these two things. This is what it says in Luke 10, the account of Jesus with Mary and Martha. Jesus and his disciples were on their way and came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What we see here is that Martha is distracted by all the preparations. She's, she's getting a meal ready, and she wants it to be right. She wants Jesus, the honor guest, to be properly looked after. But it's not just Jesus. Jesus has turned up with the 12 disciples as well. And, and we know from the Gospels that often it wasn't just Jesus and the disciples. There were other people uh, who were traveling with them as part of this band of the wider group of disciples. And so Martha's got a house full to cater for, and that is stressful. Food can create stress. Lots of you will have experienced this. You've been involved in any kind of catering. I mean, working in the restaurant industry is notoriously stressful. Chefs, I'm sure it's very different with Germain, but chefs generally are not 
known for being calm and collected. It's the stress of the kitchen. It's a high-pressure place. And if you've had people around your house, as I hope you have, and offer hospitality, that can be wonderful, but it can also create stress. If you've got a lot of people coming around, if you're trying to prepare a special meal, all kinds of stresses can come. Martha is stressed about the catering, but Jesus tells her she's got to focus wrong. Jesus, in a sense, is saying to Martha, let, let the food take care of itself. It's going to be all right. It will work out. What you need to do is trust God. And then the very next part of Scripture, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. Trust God to do what? Trust God to give us this day our daily bread. These things are connected. Martha distracted, stressed about the catering arrangements. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. The account in Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel, comes in the teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount, an extended uh, portion of teaching in which Jesus is giving lots of instructions about how God's people are to live. And as you read through that portion of Scripture there in, 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 the, in Matthew, it can feel sometimes a little bit scattergun, some of the teaching that Jesus is bringing. But actually, you need to see what Jesus is teaching there as links in the chain. There are, they all, all the parts of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, they actually all connect, even though they might seem uh, somewhat separate from one another. And the teaching that Jesus gives on prayer and fasting, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer and then teaches about fasting as well, that teaching is sandwiched between him teaching about money. Immediately before his teaching on the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching about money, about giving to the needy, and then immediately after his teaching on the Lord's Prayer and fasting, he's teaching about having treasures in heaven, about where we put our money, and about not worrying. How are, people to handle, how are the people of God to handle their money? With generosity, with faith, and do not worry. This is what Jesus teaches us. And in the middle, and it's right in the middle of that teaching, and this phrase is right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're meant to see that connection, these links in the chain comes right in the middle of that teaching. These, these accounts in Luke and Matthew are not randomly arranged. We're meant to see the connection between these things. Why Jesus teaches us to pray like this. We also need to understand something of the wider social context into which Jesus was teaching. The people that Jesus is speaking to in these stories are people who would have experienced hunger. And I think that can be hard for us to relate to. Because that is not the context, thank God, of our world. Now, in our world at this point in history, 11% of the world's population don't have enough food. Before the pandemic, it was down to 9%. And pandemics caused us to go back up to 11%. But actually, in, in, the, in, in historical times, this is the best it's ever been. That only 11% of the world's population are hungry. As recently as 1980, just 40 or so years ago, 40% of the world's population lived in absolute poverty. We're hungry the whole time. So there's been this extraordinary global alleviation of poverty and provision of food. We pray in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. I think seeing so many of the world's millions brought out of poverty and having enough to eat is a your kingdom come prayer answered. And in the midst of a world where we often very aware of all the problems in the world as we are at the moment, actually this is something, these kind of things should encourage us, that there has been this extraordinary dramatic decrease in global poverty. There's still millions who live hungry, but the numbers, the, the proportions have declined dramatically 
over recent decades. Here's a graph for you. I love a good graph. It was only in 1850 that in the UK, the supply of calories to eat, available to each person reached 2,500 calories, which is what the kind of recommended amount for a bloke is meant to be. Women, it's a little bit less. But only 1850 that there were sufficient calories available to feed people to the extent they should be fed. Most people throughout history have been hungry. That's why they're all so small. Grace and I were out for a coffee in Shaftesbury recently and went to a coffee shop and uh, I was almost on my hands and knees trying to get in there because it was so, the seatings were so low. Is this built for a hobbit? No, it was built for how people were. People were small. Why? Because they were hungry. Throughout history, most people have known real hunger in a way which we just can't relate to. And that would have been true of Jesus and his disciples. There would have been times in Jesus' life, in the life of his disciples, when they experienced real hunger. The context they lived in, there would have been an erratic supply of food because of all the impact of weather and pests, famine happening, conflict. And this is why I think there's such a focus on food in the Gospels. As you read the Gospels, the subject of food comes up again and again and again. And I think that's because people would have lived with a daily experience often of hunger and a constant fear of famine being just around the corner. And we see this in the way that the disciples get confused about food when Jesus is talking about bread and using that in metaphorical terms. This this story in Matthew 16 illustrates that. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this amongst themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves when I fed the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves when I fed the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, this is meant to be a comic story. It's a kind of a dull moment that they're just not understanding what Jesus is talking about. But that's probably because they were hungry. They were young men. And if you've ever been a young man or had a young man in your house, you know how much young men can eat and how much they need to eat. These guys were probably hungry. They were rowing across the lake, physical labor, which makes you more hungry. They've got bread on the brain and suddenly realize there's no bread in the boat. And Andrew's saying, hey, Levi, you're the tax collector. You're meant to be the organized one. I thought you brought the sandwiches. And Levi's saying, it's not my responsibility, it's Judas. He's got the, all the money, and Judas is saying, don't blame me. It's Peter, he's always wants to be in charge. And Peter saying, well, why should I have to do everything the whole time? They're, you can imagine, they discussed, they had a discussion. You can imagine the discussion, 12 young men in the boat who are grumpy and hungry. You can imagine the kind of discussion they were having. You idiots! You forgot the bread, I'm starving here. And completely missing the point of what Jesus is talking about. Now, why am I laboring all this? If we're going to see the power of the Lord's Prayer, what it 
the, the power of what Jesus teaches us when he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We need to think about hunger because this is a prayer for the hungry, not a prayer for the full. This is a prayer which begins from a place of lack and which leans into a place of trust in God to provide. And our problem is that we can just be too full. We can be too full to pray the kind of hungry prayers that we ought to be praying. And so that's why it's good to fast. It's why over these 21 days we're encouraging people to fast. And that might be that you're fasting from food at times, but also fasting from other things. Because we can be so full of all kinds of stuff that we don't feel hungry for the things we should feel hungry for. We need to get hungry for the right thing. As Jesus said to Martha about Mary, she's going for the one thing. We need to be hungry for the one thing. So having looked at all that context, let's just look at this part of the prayer briefly. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer to pray daily. It's a prayer we need to pray daily. It's a, it's a prayer that I need to pray daily. It's a daily, there's never a day when I don't need to pray this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. As we've seen, this prayer starts, this part of the prayer starts with the recognition of our practical needs. If you're, if you're hungry, you need bread. And the context that Jesus was teaching them, people were hungry, they were poor, they didn't have enough food, they didn't have cupboards full of food, they didn't have freezers where they could keep food. So every day would have been a fresh hunt for food. Every day would have been today. I don't have enough food. Please provide for me. That would have been the common experience of so many people. And, and this means that this prayer is about coming to a place of trust. Are we going to be distracted, anxious, and worried like Martha? Or are we going to believe that Jesus is able to provide for us? Now, in our context, the, the issue, the question isn't normally one of actual bread because we don't lack that. There are, of course, those who don't have enough food. We've seen the huge proliferation of food banks in recent years, but we don't, there aren't people starving on the streets in the way that would have been the case in the day of Jesus. And so for us, bread is actually something likely to be something else. Uh, the teaching, as I've said, of the Lord's Prayer and the Gospel of Matthew comes in the context of Jesus teaching about money. And it might be that the, your bread prayer is actually because of financial needs. It might be something to do with some emotional need. It might be pressures at work. It might be stuff that's going on in your family. But when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, bread is the, is the most basic and the most essential food stuff. It's, it's as basic as you can get. And, and I think that means that when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, that, that prayer is almost infinitely expandable in the categories that can be included in it. So it's whatever is my most essential need today, would you provide it for me? Give me this day my daily bread. The thing I most need today, whether that's financial provision or emotional help or help with stuff at work, with the family, Lord, would you today give me sufficient bread that I would not drop dead from exhaustion, I wouldn't perish, but you would sustain me and keep me through it. Lord, in my most essential needs, I trust you to meet my needs. 
So this is a prayer that I often pray for myself. This day, in this situation, Lord, give me my daily bread. It's, often a, it's a prayer I often pray with others. Pretty much always when I'm praying with other people, I pray, Lord, give them their daily bread. Whatever it is they need, the most essential thing they need at that moment. Lord, would you supply for us? What is, what is your most basic need today? What is the thing you most essentially need to get you through this day? Come to Jesus and ask him to give you your daily bread and trust him that he can supply. Next part of the prayer is forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. I think there are two directions that Christians tend to pull in when it comes to sin. The first direction is we can become very introspective fearful, legalistic, if we don't grasp the completed work of Christ, if we don't understand that Christ's sacrifice on the cross, what we've been singing about and thanking God for already this morning in our worship, if we don't understand that Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection to eternal life means that our sin has been finally and fully dealt with, if we don't grasp that, if we don't understand that this is true for me, then we can get caught into fear and introspection and legalism. And the Bible speaks about this again and again, especially the lesson to the Hebrews. Here's some verses from lesson to the Hebrews which illustrate this. The writer says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Christ's once-for-all sacrifice deals with our sin. You come to Christ. You're made new in Him. His sacrifice for sin deals with your sin. It's wiped away. You're cleansed. You're forgiven. You're proclaimed righteous in the sight of God. Hallelujah. But if you don't grasp that, you can fall into the trap of, of never really believing that you're truly forgiven. And if you fall into that trap, what you end up in is on a hamster wheel of self-justifying performance, which is utterly soul-destroying, where we can try to earn our salvation rather than enjoying it, where we feel that we always having to repent and repent and repent before we can come anywhere near God. And that's just destroying. It leads to all kinds of legalism and introspection and fearfulness and nasty stuff. We've got to understand God's grace to us. You come to Christ, trust in him, his all-sufficient sacrifice, once for all, done, dealt with, you're free. That's one trap that Christians can fall into. Another way, though, we can, another thing that can pull us is the opposite of that is where we know that Christ has forgiven us, and as a result, we just get very casual about sin. It's all been dealt with, therefore it doesn't really matter what I do. I can pretty much do what I like, it doesn't matter, because Christ has already paid the price. Now, we need to avoid those two perils, and I, and I think how we approach communion is actually a good test of that. We'll be celebrating taking communion in a few minutes' time, and, and how you approach communion is a good test of how you understand how you should pray, Lord, forgive us our sins. So if when you come to communion, you come with a terrible introspection and fearfulness, 
what have I, have I remembered everything I've done wrong this week and repented of that and I must do that before I come and take communion because if I don't take communion, if I take communion, if I haven't repented of absolutely everything, then, then I'm going to be judged by God. If that's how you come to communion, you're missing the very point of communion, which is a declaration that Christ's sacrifice means that you are forgiven, cleansed and free. But if you come to communion casually, oh, here we go again, bit of bread, bit of wine, thank you, lords. You're also missing the point that actually we do want to walk in genuine relationship with God, which isn't polluted by habits and patterns of sinfulness. And so we need to both embrace and enjoy the liberty which is ours in Christ and be alert to the power and pollution of sin. And so our attitude, our posture should be that of forgiven people who ask for forgiveness. Jesus, I'm so grateful I know I stand before you blameless and righteousness because of what you have done. And therefore, I ask you, would you forgive me again for this I did and this I thought and that I said. And I come and worship Jesus in freedom and joy and gratitude and come and take the bread and the wine, amazed again at God's incredible grace to me. Of course, you need to be a Christian to experience that. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can be set free. That everything that you have done wrong can be wiped away in the sight of God because of what Christ has already done at the cross. That can be your experience today. You could come and take bread and wine for the first time today as a cleansed and forgiven person. Lord, forgive us our sins. And then, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There isn't really any way around this one as we look at the Lord's Prayer. As forgiven people, we are called to forgive. Just You can't really duck that. And uh, there seems to be some kind of conditionality about it that we experience God's forgiveness in some way in the degree to which we forgive others. That if we're living in unforgiveness towards others, it's hard for us to experience the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. And you know, it could be hard to forgive people. Harboring resentments can feel delicious. We We live in a therapeutic culture, and there's some good things about that, that we learning increasingly to be honest, to look into our own souls and recognize what's there and not to be ashamed of hiding things away. But there's also a danger in the therapeutic culture that we can create ledgers of all the things which have been done against us, which we can stew on and marinate in and write books about and wallow in. And that's dangerous. And I think, of course, there's... Lord, we forgive those who sin against us. There's such a breadth here. They're, they're the horrendous things. If you're living in the Ukraine at the moment and your house has been bombed, it's, Lord, forgive those who sin against us. That's, a, that's one kind of prayer. I think for most of us, most of the time, a lot of this is just about the, the daily inconveniences of life. This prayer that Jesus teaches us is a daily prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, today, forgive me. Lord, today, help me to forgive others. It's the... Who is the most annoying or irritating person in your life? Can you forgive them? It might be a politician. Every time they appear on the screen, you start swearing. It might be your husband. Who is the most annoying or irritating person in your life? This is a, this is a, I think this is really where the prayer lands. Lord, as we forgive these people, this person, even that person you love that drives you crazy, I will forgive you. I will forgive you. 
You do that, you've done it again. Why do you do it that way? It's so annoying. I forgive you. It's a daily prayer. It's a daily prayer. I know I need to... This morning, I was doing this with some people who are close to me. Lord. (laughs) And they need to do it towards me as well. And it wasn't grace, actually. You're perfect. The small inconveniences, how do we respond? I was out for a run the other day, and this guy on his bike, on the pavement, on his phone, almost ran me over. Felt very angry. Lord, forgive. It's the daily inconveniences. Daily. Lord, today, give me my daily bread. Today, let me live in the truth of your forgiveness of me. Today, let me be forgiving towards others. And Lord, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This is, this is a prayer of self-preservation. Lord, don't let me get into trouble. Lord, don't let me do anything stupid. This day, keep me out of stupidity. And, and remember, again, the context, Jesus is teaching his disciples who are young men. They were probably in their late teens, early 20s, most of them. Young men have a particular proneness to get into trouble. It's a good prayer to teach young men. Lord, keep me out of trouble. Let me not be a jerk today. But even old men, and even sometimes women, (laughs) occasionally, very occasionally, it's a very remote possibility, but every so often it happens, do something daft. Lord, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, don't let me do anything stupid today. Uh, and we need to be clear when, in, in how this, fra- this is, is translated, uh, the phrasing of this. God, God doesn't do the tempting. James 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. What we pray when we say, lead us not to temptation, is we're asking God to help us not be led into sin. Lord, would you help me today not to be led into temptation? And we're asking God for his rescue when evil stuff happens. Lord, deliver us from evil. And sometimes evil stuff does happen. And it happens on a sliding scale, from the small inconveniences of life to the utterly horrific. Lord, deliver us from evil. And the reality is that at times God allows us to experience evil stuff. In 1 Peter 1.6 it says, For a little while you may have had to suffer grief from all kinds of trials. Uh, it's from the NIV, which we use generally as our Bible translation here. The, the ESV, which is a bit more literal, translates it. For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. If necessary. Sometimes, we don't always know why, but sometimes in the economy of God, it is necessary for us to experience trials. I think there's a lot, we could, this is a whole other sermon, but... At the least we can say about this, if we didn't ever experience trials, we'd never really experience God's deliverance. Lord, deliver us from evil. You have to experience some evil to get delivered from it. Really, I think this, this part of the prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. It's, another, it's just another way of praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. That daily we need to look for the Lord to, to deliver us from evil. And daily we need to look for the Lord to keep us from temptation. Last year, when we went through the big financial fraud we experienced as a church, I was praying, over those three, four months, I was praying every day, Lord, deliver us from evil. 
Lord, deliver us from evil. Because it felt evil. Lord, deliver us from it. And the Lord did deliver us from it. We wouldn't have known his deliverance if we hadn't experienced the evil. Thank God we're out of that. But we need to keep praying this prayer. Lord, today. Lord, let me not be led into temptation. And Lord, deliver me from evil. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This, is a, this prayer is asking, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Are you hungering for the most essential thing? Are you, are you, in the end, are you hungering for Jesus? Lord, let me feed on you today. Are you, are you hungry to know, to live in the reality of the forgiveness that Christ has won for you? Are you hungry to be a forgiving person? rather than somebody who stews on the stuff that's been done to you? Are you hungry to be someone who walks away from temptation rather than walking into it? And are you hungry to be delivered from evil? It's a prayer about hunger. Let's get hungry for the right things. And let's pray as Jesus taught us to pray. We're going to take the bread and the wine, and this, of course, puts flesh on the bones in terms of what I've been speaking about, that as we take the bread and the wine, we are eating and drinking. It's not enough, a little thimble, a little crumb of bread. It's not enough to satisfy your hunger. We're going to have lunch afterwards, which hopefully you will. But spiritually, it feeds us. We come to Jesus. We take the bread and the wine. We say, this is, we recognize this as your, as your body on the cross, your blood shed for us. Now, Lord, would you stir in me a greater hunger for you? Would you stir in me a greater hunger to live in my freedom? Would you stir in me a greater hunger to be forgiving and generous towards others? Lord, Lord, would you stir in me a greater hunger for, for purity and keeping out of trouble and walking in a way which honors you? Lord, as I eat and drink this in remembrance of what you have done, let me trust you, believe you, not be distracted by all the, all the other stuff, but... Be nourished by you, fed by you, and delight in you. For these things we hunger, Lord. So I pray for us, Jesus, that as we come now back into worship, as we take the bread and the wine, that we would come and feed on you, that we would turn our gaze towards you. Lord, I pray for those here who do feel like Martha, feel distracted and worried about stuff. I pray that in this moment you come and minister to them. They would pray this prayer. They would know you feeding them. They'd be able to find a fresh focus on you and a, a nourishment from you. Lord, I pray for those who perhaps even this week have blundered into trouble, have been led into temptation, that by your grace you'd pull them out and let them walk in freedom. Lord, I pray that, Jesus, we would celebrate the complete victory of your sacrifice and what that means for us, that sin has been killed and we live in a way which reflects and honors that. Lord, keep us, deliver us from evil. I pray as a church we would be free. We would we'd know a time of real blessing. Jesus, deliver us from the evil around us. So we come to you, fix our gaze on you, feed on you, Jesus, and give you thanks for all you've done.